Gary Renard Podcast, Episode 27. Welcome to the Gary Renard Podcast, your direct connection to Gary Renard, best-selling author of The Disappearance of the Universe, Your Immortal Reality, and his third book, Love Has Forgotten No One, which will be released, well, it's going to be released not too far from now. We're not sure exactly when Gary's going to let us know. His website has all the answers. This is Gene Bogart, podcast producer and Gary's co-host. And, you know, just recently, we all returned from the Caribbean, where we were aboard Gary Renard's Happy Dream Cruise. And it was a happy dream. We had a spectacular time. The entire group, there was over 70 people involved, including Gary and myself. My wife Helen was there. The mystery woman who we now know, named Cindy. She was there as well. And it was just a terrific time. We talked about how it it just felt like we had all known each other forever, and I guess we have, uh, but it really felt like one big family, and we just had an absolutely spectacular week together in all the different ports we went to. Well, the exciting thing is that while we were aboard, we recorded a podcast at sea. It was sort of our intention. We weren't able to do it through the ship's sound system. We couldn't uh, interface properly with that, but we recorded it on video. Now, the video clips may, in fact, be showing up on YouTube. I'll tell you a little more about that later. But right now, we're going to present our podcast at sea right here on the Gary Renard Podcast. The entire recording was over an hour in length, so we're going to split it into two different podcast episodes. And this is the first one. Our next one will conclude in episode 28. But here, during episode 27, we present the first half of our Gary Renard podcast at sea. Well, what we're doing and the reason Helen has the camera out here, what, what we had wanted to do all along was to do a, a somewhat of a recording of a podcast at sea. And just do a little podcast stuff as if we were doing a regular podcast because we are rarely, if ever, in the same room together when we do those. And then do some questions for Gary with people right here to do the questions for Gary. But we weren't able to figure out a way to interface with their sound system to get an audio feed to do the recording. We explored other options. Then I said, you know, if we do it on the videotape, I hopefully, if the quality is acceptable, we can pull the audio off the video, build it right into one of our podcasts, and our next podcast might include what we're doing here. So if that sounds like fun, we thought maybe for like 30 minutes or so, we do a little bit of podcast talk, do some questions, which Gary was going to do anyway, and then he'll continue on with the rest of his uh, afternoon session. Does that sound like fun? Sounds great, Gene. He gets so excited over here. You see now why on the podcast, I normally do the setup and intro by myself, and then, then I bring in Gary, and then, then he's all excited about it. <laughs> yeah, whatever you want. That's fine. So I'll probably record that part on my own afterwards after we get back, and then we'll just jump into what we actually did here at sea. So you're actually rolling at this point? And with the Holy Spirit is willing, the audio will be good. So let's kick it off, and we're doing our first Gary Renard podcast at sea! And not only that, it's our first podcast with our live audience right in front of us. A round of applause for the audience. For and for the first time, he's not at the other end of the phone, he's right at the other end of this table. It's the star of our show, it's Gary Renard! Yeah. 
and I didn't have to dub in any phony applause this time. Hey, thanks, King. <laughs> so, buddy, what have you been up to lately? Uh, well, I've been doing this cruise. Really? That yeah. sounds like fun. Yeah. It does. That great. Cindy uh, uh, and I went to the uh, nude beach yesterday. Uh, the nude beach? Yeah. Well. It was an eye-opening experience. I can imagine. <laughs> now, I, you know the question I have to ask? Well, I, I don't know if I, I'm afraid to ask. <laughs> I'm hoping you'll just volunteer. Uh, actually, no, we didn't take our clothes off. We, oh. were, we were too American. But, uh, but we were glad to see that you weren't there. Yes. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> the American on the Dutch side of the island, not the French side, as you guys were. But it must have been, uh, yes, eye-popping. Yeah, it was a beautiful beach. Uh, and the nudity is only down one end, mm -hmm. you know, where they have the yellow uh, you know, canopies or whatever they call them. There and uh, it was fun, you know, walking around with everybody. Uh, it's interesting to see the different attitudes that people have, you know, because uh, it's like in America, people are just so uptight about things and about the body. Uh, if you go to Australia or something like that, there'll be, you know, a woman walking on the beach topless with your like three year old daughter or something, and nobody's paying any attention, you know, except for me. And so, <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, it's really, uh, really different. It's, uh, it's uh, interesting to see. You know how other cultures live, how other cultures think. Uh, just going to Canada, I, I find to be uh, refreshing because, uh, for example, I think the problem with America is that we think we have to run the world. <laughs> you know, and other, you know, other countries uh, they're not like that. You know, and there's, so there's so much more laid back, so much more relaxed. They don't have so much stress. You know, and it's really stress that's responsible for uh, a great deal of the diseases that we have uh, in America. So. Uh, Anyway, I had a good time. We're going horseback riding tomorrow. So uh -huh. I'm planning on being sore when we meet. No doubt, yes. You'll be bow-legged Gary coming in here. Yeah. yeah. Cowboy Gary. So uh, how are you and Helen doing? We are uh, very good having a swell time. It's a wonderful cruise, by the way, for those for those who are not fortunate enough to be with us here in person, uh, those listening to the podcast. Yeah, it's been a great time here aboard the Westerdam once again, the same ship that uh, you had the cruise last year to Alaska. Yeah. This time to the Caribbean or Caribbean, either way. Uh, what would you like to say about that? Because it's got to be, you do a lot of traveling, a lot of workshops and seminars, but a cruise has to be a little different because you really get, we've had such great focus among our entire group, over 70 some odd people here, and some are quite odd. Uh, <laughs> and myself among them, at the head of the list. But you really get a much more personal connection and the focus because you've done so many, a number of hours of, of workshop work here, as well as uh, just talking to people out and about. So how is cruising as a venue for doing your your, your work in the world, how does that compare to other things? Oh, I like it a lot because uh, you're in the same place for a week, which seldom happens with me. And, uh, you know, I get to meet just about everybody, and, uh, you know, that's good. And uh, I get to talk for longer, answer more questions, uh, I get to do different places. Uh, Alaska was a more expensive cruise than this one. That's one of the most expensive ones you can do. But it was great. You were there. Um, we did, uh, you know, the uh, Inside Passage in uh, Glacier Bay and places like that is wonderful. And, uh, you know, we'll do the Caribbean every now and then. I, I think we're going to probably try to do the Mediterranean sometime. I'd love, oh, love to go to the nice. Pacific yeah. Island. Yeah, yeah. You know, something like that. Maybe Hawaii. You know, maybe oh. that would be a, I think we're up for a Hawaii cruise. Yeah. Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, some are less expensive and more expensive. Mm -hmm. but. Uh, for the most part, uh, it's just a great time, and uh, we get to go into the teachings in detail, 
and uh, you know it's a lot of fun you know partying with you guys. Yeah, uh, Gene and Gene and Helen and uh, Cindy and I went out New Year's Eve uh, Miami Beach. You know, I, I always wanted to go to Miami Beach and stay at the Fountain Blue because I saw Goldfinger when I was 13, right? And, and they start out at the Fountain Blue in Miami Beach, so I always wanted to stay there. Uh, it only took about 40 years for me to you know, get there, but uh, that, was, that was a lot of fun. And we went out on a cruise of Miami Harbor uh, New Year's Eve. Uh, it was really great, or at least you know what I remember of it. And uh, it was, you know, went to this nightclub. It was also good. It was on a roof. And uh, love Miami Beach. It's a place called Española Way, which is just wonderful. It's like going back in time. And you sit outside and you eat in this uh, Spanish architecture and everything. It's really great. And Gene uh, and Helen live in Boca, which is right next to Fort Lauderdale. So they didn't even have to fly, you know, to come here. Uh, Hitchhiked. Yeah. yeah. We actually drove to the ship, which is nice, so, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah, this is really cool. And uh, I'm very fortunate right now because I'm going to have almost a month off from traveling. Whoa. Yeah. And, That's uh, never happened. No. <laughs> uh, because we moved our Australian tour in New Zealand to November. Ah. Yeah, because, uh, believe it or not, the Australian economy is even worse in worse shape than ours. Yeah. And uh, they decided, yeah, they still want to do it, but they decided that they'd have more people in November. And that's nicer weather for them because that's getting into their summer at that point. Right, that's almost summer for them. Yeah. yeah. I, the last time I went there, it was almost Christmas, and uh, it was about 85 degrees in Sydney. <laughs> Christmas time. Yeah. It's really nice. I love Australia. I've never been to New Zealand. I've been to a lot of places this year I've never been to, like uh, New Zealand, uh, Japan for the first time. Uh, Germany mm -hmm. for the first time, plus I'm going back, um, I think Italy, uh, plus I'm going back to a lot of countries that I have been to, you know, like Switzerland, uh, England, except this time in England, I'm doing a workshop near Stonehenge. Oh. Yeah, I, I just want to see Stonehenge. Yeah. There's a town called Swindon that's near there that we're going to do uh, a workshop, and I've been to London about three times, and I, I can skip a year or two of going to London, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's going to be great. And, Going to you know tough places like Barcelona, you know, <laughs> uh, Zurich, Switzerland, you know, great places. Uh, Holland, I love the people there are cool. Most of them speak English in Holland, mm -hmm. and I don't even really need a translator, but we use one anyway. You know, you have extra translators that we know from this cruise that you could bring with you. That's right. That's they right. can remember how to speak Dutch. <laughs> <laughs> You know, one, one thing I was going to say though about about the cruise, and, I, and I've heard this from a number of people we've just chatted with, and I felt the same way. You've said the same thing. It's amazing how right from the beginning, when we all kind of gathered here the first day, it just feels like we all know each other, and there's this instant familiarity that is real, genuine. I mean, it's not like putting it on. Oh, we're here having a great time. It just we all felt like a reunion of old friends. Even people, I mean, we've met many, but uh, for those we hadn't met, it doesn't seem to make a difference. It's really remarkable. I mean, a part of it is the subject matter that we all study, but uh, a lot of it is just the sort of this closeness that you get on a on a cruise situation like this when you have a, a period of time to actually spend together. <coughs> so that's that's really nice. That's true. Meeting uh, so many people has been a really good thing for me. Uh, back oh, in the 90s, I had become practically a recluse. Right. You know, I'd become practically a hermit and uh, very seldom talked to people. And even five, six years ago, I wasn't what you would call a people person. <laughs> you know, I wasn't, you know, somebody. Uh, I'll give you an idea of what I used to be like. I, when I did EST, I did EST seminars. 
I would uh, go to a seminar, and the break would come. They'd have a 10-minute break. And I would orchestrate the whole 10 minutes so that I didn't have to talk to anybody. <laughs> you know, I would, uh, I would get up, and I'd get a very important cup of water. That was very important. You know, then I'd uh, go to the restroom. You know, then I'd uh, wander around the uh, hotel lobby for just the right amount of time to get back to my seat after the 10 minutes was up and arrange it so I didn't have to talk to anybody ever. So that's about how into, you know, communicating with people, you know, I was at that time. And yeah, I've come a long way. It's been a good thing uh, for me, a really good thing personally. And uh, I think when I look back on all of this and look at the years uh, that I spent on the road, that the part that's going to mean the most to me is the people that I met. And, uh, you know, I always decided that I would go for experiences. You know, uh, it's not important to me how much money I have in the bank. Uh, what's important to me is I want to have experiences. I want to see places. I want to meet people. You know, and that's fun for me. Uh, you know, not that it matters because it really is all just a dream. But when people are at the end of their life and, and they, if they know that they're dying, uh, I don't think that it's the things that they've done that they regret the most. I think it's the things that they haven't done that they, uh, you know, regret the most. And so uh, I decided when I started doing that, well, you know, if I, if I go to Calgary, I'm going to go see Banff, too. I'm going to take an extra day, you know, and see what Banff is like, which is beautiful. You know, when I go someplace, I try to spend an extra day. I try to get there uh, on Thursday, if I'm speaking on Saturday. That way I have Friday and maybe even Sunday, you know, to hang out and, uh, you know, see a place. You know, so when I was in Memphis, I went to Beale Street, and I went to Graceland, you know, Elvis's home, and, I, you know, Sun Records, things like that. And uh, I always try to make it a point to see something and to do something. And uh, boy, yeah, it's exciting to me because now it's almost whenever I, I see a city on TV, it's like, hey, I've been there. You know, it's like I've been all, all these places. It's the song by Johnny Cash, you know, I've, been, I've been everywhere. Well, that's what I'm starting to feel like. I've been to 41 states so far. I'm sure I'll do all 50. And uh, after this year, it'll make about 17 countries that I've been to. Uh, but I'm sure I'll end up doing about 30. So, uh, yeah, it's a fun way to see the world. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, on longer trips, the expenses don't quite out, you know, uh, don't quite uh, equal the, uh, you know, the money that you make or, or vice versa. It's like uh, sometimes I don't even make any money. But at the same time, uh, sometimes I do. And uh, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. So it's been great for me, and uh, I'm, I'm very grateful. And actually what we could do is, uh, you know, if we just get a few questions from the audience that we could include uh, in the podcast, uh, that would be great. If you, already, if you already asked a question, and if you want to ask the same question again, maybe I'll give you a different answer. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll have it recorded to hold it against him as evidence. You know? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, it would just be an alternate timeline version of the same script, then. That's right. So okay, good. See, you can get out of anything like this. Yeah, so let's do that, because this will be the very first time, the first hand, the very first questions for Gary that we're actually doing with people in front of us who haven't emailed them in. What I'm going to do is just, I'll, I'll come over here with this microphone, and uh, then we'll edit this part out later. Probably not. So Helen is recording this. Hi, honey. Hi. Hi, how are you? So if you want to swing around over here, and we'll hand the mic over, and we have our first question for Gary at sea. <laughs> Hi Gary. Hi Jean. My name is Jennifer and I do have a follow-up question to an earlier one. Someone asked earlier about when somebody's lying or doing something and for you to call them out on it, so to speak. You know, where does that put you? 
And my follow-up question to that was, when you see somebody responding to a person you love, hmm. um, when is it your position to defend that person against what's being said, or is it just another forgiveness lesson for me, or... So it's kind of confusing. I tend to, in a moment, I can be okay and respond somewhat to a remark, you know, but it's hurting me that somebody would speak badly of another person. Yeah. And then when I relay the story, like I'm thinking about it right now, thus the question, I, apparently I still haven't done the forgiveness on the level I should. Yeah, because, um, well, they're a relative of yours. You want to defend them. What that's really doing is you're saying they're a body and that they need your defense. Yeah, and that, uh, you know, so you're going to come to their rescue like you're a victim or something. And, uh, you know, you don't have to do that. And I'm not saying that you can't because, as I said earlier, uh, it's like, what do you feel guided to do by the Holy Spirit? You know, what do you think is appropriate uh, in that situation? But in any situation, forgiveness comes first. Uh, I don't think you are being guided by the Holy Spirit if you don't practice forgiveness first. So, uh, yeah, forgive that person for what they're saying to uh, your friend or relative. And then it's really a question of, of what's called for. You know, I mean, if someone was accusing them of, of a crime or something that they didn't commit, then I would say that, yeah, you would want to speak up about that. You know, you can judge for yourself uh, if it's uh, important or not based on what you think you're hearing and how you feel guided by the Holy Spirit. Uh, you don't have to do anything ever. You know, nobody ever has to do anything, which is why the Course says, I need to do nothing. You know, you don't really have to do anything. And what you do is just a result of what you think. And uh, it's like Gene always says at the end of the podcast, no matter what the problem, uh, forgiveness is the answer. And that's so true. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, when I said that you, sh you could call the authorities if somebody next door was abusing a child, that's just common sense, you know, to me. Uh, I'm not saying you have to call the authorities, I'm just saying that uh, I don't see anything wrong with that. It certainly uh, would seem appropriate. Uh, so it's like a case-by-case -case basis. At one point, the Course says that the curriculum is highly individualized. And the reason that that's the case is because the truth is simple, right? But the ego is not. You know, the ego can be very complicated. That's why uh, the curriculum is highly individualized, because the Holy Spirit has something in mind for you. and. Uh, the way the Holy Spirit script is going to go for you and your reinterpretation with the Holy Spirit of the ego script. And uh, it's not always the same for everybody. Uh, there are certain sentences and phrases that will leap off the page of A Course in Miracles to some people, and other people will just, you know, won't uh, you know, really take to them that much. But uh, that's another reason why the Course is uh, 12, 1,300 pages long, because the ego has to be undone. And uh, the truth of God and, and the non-dualistic truth actually is simple. But uh, the ego being complicated needs to be undone like one brick at a time. And uh, that's what's going on every time we practice forgiveness. And let me just jump in, because I think on a previous podcast, as I said in front of the camera, on a previous podcast we talked something similar to this, where we were saying how the two different levels of things, you can still be fully cognizant of the Holy Spirit and the non-reality of the world, yet at the same time, if you saw a small child in traffic, you would pull them out to safety. Sure. You know, even though you know it's not real, you still bring peace to the situation whenever possible. So, Yeah, that's true. 
We were talking about Dutch translations before, and our friend Andre over here, who we were kidding with that, had a question, so I said it would be only fair after the big laugh to give you the opportunity for the actual question, Andre. So, in English, please. Yeah, and I think I'm going to lose my English right now. <laughs> um, did you want me to ask the same question? Or Whatever you feel comfortable guided to do. Well, um, I was asking Gary before during the break, and I think I'll do it now here during the podcast. Um, Gary was mentioning that there's a lot of stuff going on in the in-between world. And so I guess, like, um, why, if there's so much happening in the in-between world, uh, you need to do your forgiveness lessons here in the seeming um, real world? Right. Uh, what do you think, uh, what most people think of is the afterlife? The in-between world, as my teachers, uh, you know, called it in the next book, which you'll see. Um, you know, they called it a tour of the in-between life. They actually gave me a tour of what it was going to be like for my next in-between life, kind of like a you know a preview of, of coming attractions. They actually showed it to me. Uh, that kind of a situation where uh, your body appears to stop and die. Uh, what's happening is, you know, this matter that appears to be around us, including the body. All that it really is is energy. And uh, its energy slowed down to a slower vibration, and it appears as matter. What happens when you appear to die is your mind keeps right on going. And uh, that mind, uh, it's kind of like the vibration is turned up, and it returns to a state of energy. So that whole in-between life thing is really just a function of duality. You know, you have to have two of everything. You know, so, okay, now we appear to be matter, even though we're not. And then uh, when the body appears to die, we go up to uh, a higher vibration of energy. So that's the, we have that duality going on. Uh, you're still uh, conscious. There's always a consciousness that's going on there. But there's also still an unconscious that is running you. And uh, you go up to that higher vibration so that then, then you can slow it down again and come back in a lower vibration again, except this time it appears to be a different body. It appears to be another body. That cycle of birth and death will continue as long as there's any unconscious guilt in the mind. That's why you have to forgive the world. You know, that's why you have to uh, forgive everything that comes up in front of your face. That's the way that the Holy Spirit heals all of that unconscious guilt in the mind. Once you have no more unconscious guilt, well, you don't need a body. You, know, you don't need a universe of time and space to project that unconscious guilt onto because it's not there anymore. And that's what causes uh, the cycle of birth and death. When you're healed, you don't come back anymore. Now, let's say you're coming back for the final time. Uh, in that case, the universe of time and space is going to look very much like it does to you when you appear to be here in a body. Uh, the more uh, you know, spiritually advanced you are, the closer you are to enlightenment, the more it's going to look like it actually does, where uh, if you just kind of like, you know, along a little bit, uh, then you're going to see different things. You're going to see things like, oh, crystal castles, and, you know, I don't know if you saw that movie, uh, What Dreams May Come, with, uh, you know, Robin Williams. You see a lot of different things uh, as you progress, and the more progressed you get spiritually, the more it becomes like what it really is now. So when I, uh, when I was, since I was coming back for the last time, uh, what Person Martin did, they showed me... Uh, you know, what it would be like for me next time. And, and I saw, as I mentioned before, all these things uh, and there's more, which you'll see in the next book. But uh, it was very much like this, going out past the solar system, going to all these uh, different galaxies, seeing black holes, matter, antimatter, you know, uh, 
galaxies actually at war with each other because the thought of conflict, as I was saying earlier today, is going to show up there somehow on the screen, you know, as long as there's any conflict in the mind. And uh, so, so you come back for the last time and, and you're enlightened. Well, you don't go to that afterlife place again. You don't go to the in-between life place again. Uh, your oneness with God becomes more and more your experience, and then when, as the Course describes it, you lay the body aside for the final time, uh, all that's left is this perfect oneness with God, and that becomes your permanent experience. You know, so now you're home. And once you're home, you're out of here. You know, a lot of people have this fantasy that they're going to come back and save the world. Well, you know, the world has the Holy Spirit. The world doesn't need you. You know, the world has the Holy Spirit. You know, and the Holy Spirit can take care of saving the world. You know, we don't have to worry about that. In fact, we should be reminded that there is no world. You know, so you know, all these people are going to save a world that isn't there. You know, and it's like, no, what the Holy Spirit wants you to do is go home and stay home. You know, so uh, you never come back in uh, this form again. But an image of you can be called upon, as the Course describes it. You know, so it would be kind of like uh, a projection of the Holy Spirit now, instead of a projection of the ego. And it is possible for that to happen, you know, so that's why we could see Jesus, you know, after the uh, crucifixion. You know, that's why I could see Arden in person, because even though their bodies look and feel just as real as anybody else's, they're a projection that is coming from the Holy Spirit and not from the ego. And almost all bodies that are made are projected by the ego, and uh, just a few, you know, by uh, the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, as I told you earlier, in the week, you know, we did a tour of all these places. I saw a Pleiadian starship, and you know, I came back through the solar system, end up witnessing uh, my own birth into the next lifetime, and uh, it was pretty far out. And uh, you know, they're always, they're always doing things like that uh, for me. You know, it's like uh, just when I think they blow they blow my mind as much as they can, you know, they'll come up with something else. And uh, but that's fun, you know, it's good for the books, and. Uh, I think the fourth one's going to be really interesting, too. I'm not going to tell you anything about it, but there's a lot of surprises, and I think it's going to be the most popular of the four books uh, when the fourth one comes. But uh, maybe because of the title, but I can't tell you that yet. <laughs> Come on, Gar, give us a hint. <laughs> <clears throat> now, it's guided not to because uh, somebody else would use it. They might be able to get uh, the book out before me, you know, so uh, I can't. But it'll, it'll be fun be a lot of fun and people I think will be fascinated uh, with it. On your, uh, on your last answer when you were talking about alien civilizations and other things, <clears throat> would it be uh, safe to say that even though their life forms maybe and level of development perhaps quite different than what we know, but the actual process of forgiveness and, and releasing the illusion, is that pretty much the same no matter what the form life seems to be taking? Yeah, love is like a, a universal thing and uh, <clears throat> there's still just love or fear, there's still that duality, no matter where you go, uh, no matter what civilization uh, you come to, the way back is still through love and forgiveness. Now, they may uh, look at things differently than us, but uh, you know, just because they're more technologically advanced doesn't always necessarily mean that they're more spiritually advanced, you know, and, uh, and vice versa. They can be very spiritually advanced and not that technologically advanced. And then, yeah, sometimes you end up with both. And those are generally, uh, you know, the aliens that would come here because they're using mind transport, you know, to uh, get themselves around. 
and you know, people like that or, or beings like that tend to be pretty advanced uh, spiritually. And yeah, I mean, you can see that uh, you know here, uh, you know, in this world, uh, in the Caribbean here, you had uh, Indians who were very gentle, very peaceful, and then you also had uh, Indians who were cannibals, you know, and uh, were not very peaceful at all. And you know that can happen anywhere. It's going to happen in this world. It's going to happen in the Caribbean. It's going to happen, uh, you know, on any planet. Uh, you're always going to have that duality going on. Uh, you're not going to find uh, races of people where people are all the same. You know, they're going to be uh, pretty diverse because the ego is complicated, and that's what the ego wants: is complications. I don't know if you ever asked Art and Persa about this, but in theoretically, anyway, in a different uh, alien civilization, would perhaps Jesus still be playing a role, or would there be a person who would appear as a different persona within their type of life, but yet fulfilling the same role as being one with the mind of God, as Jesus has done here? Uh, I think it would be a different persona. Uh, be somebody who uh, you know could fit in, fit in there and be trusted there. It's like uh, you know, I have some Muslim readers of uh, Disappearance, and they tell me well, you should teach the course. You know, in Muslim countries, and I say to them, "Look, uh, what would be smarter would be if you taught the course." Ah, you know, yeah. to these uh, people, because then you know they're not going to listen to some American, you know. But they are the infidel Renard. Yes. <laughs> I mean, uh, we were going to have my book, uh, you know, put out in Indonesia, and it would have been the first uh, time that quotations from the course appeared in a Muslim language. Ah. And uh, the publisher, at the last minute, just said, "You know, we can't do this." You know, we just can't do this. And it was just, it was just after they had uh, all these bombings in Bali uh, and stuff where all these Australians were killed. And, uh, you know, he, he, was, he just realized that, you know, he was, like, making himself a target by uh, doing something like that. And it's not going to, I'm not going to be serving anybody if I go somewhere and get killed. You know, so it's like, uh, what would be best for uh, Muslim people would be if you had Muslim teachers who could teach uh, this stuff. And uh, the reason I say that is because it's true with the alien civilizations also on other planets. What, what is best for them is they have their own people, you know, teaching it, and, and it's somebody that they can trust. You know, so uh, you know, I, I think that's usually uh, the way that the Course is spread. You'll notice that uh, in most countries, the Course in Miracles is spread the most by the person who translated it into that language. So, uh, you know, it's like uh, they become, in many cases, the main teachers. Uh, in their language, and that's, you know, it's like the Course says, uh, if you would help save people, you must speak their language. You know, so, uh, you know, that, that's really the way that it should be anyway. So some very wise Vulcan will be the one who's on. Yeah. <laughs> As I mentioned earlier, we're going to continue and conclude our podcast at sea in our next Gary Renard podcast episode, which will be episode 28. And we'll be releasing that one very quickly. Just have to do the production work to put that all together. Also, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the podcast was recorded actually on video, and we uh, hope to have some video clips from that so you can see us as well as hear us up on YouTube fairly soon. They're not there right now, but we'll let you know exactly when. Uh, I'll be putting a link to that at Forgive 
forgiveness.tv on the links page so you can check that out. You can also go to Facebook and uh, check out the Happy Dream Cruise group. And I think anybody, I don't think you have to be a member of the group, anybody can check that out. Uh, many of the folks that were on the cruise with us are already part of that group. And a lot of good conversation and some good photos to look at too. Some of them quite incriminating. So check that out at Facebook. While you're there, you can also check out Gary Renard and Gene Bogart. We both have uh, pages at Facebook. And we always like hearing from our friends, many of whom are listening right now. So we can say hi. Um, what else did I want to mention? We got YouTube. We got Facebook. Don't forget, of course, GaryRenard.com, his website, and Forgiveness.tv. And I'll be including some of those uh, more, more recent links on the links page at Forgiveness.tv before very long. The Gary Renard Podcast is a production of Enlighten Up Creations and released by Forgiveness.tv. Verbal content of this program, copyright 2009, Gary Renard and Gene Bogart. For more information, I've already given you the link, so I don't have to repeat that. I'll just leave you for the moment with what we always say, and eventually Andre will say it for us in Dutch. But whatever the situation or question, forgiveness is always the answer. 